In those days, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness of Judea, proclaiming, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is the one of whom the prophet Isaiah spoke when he said, The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Now John wore clothing of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then the people of Jerusalem and all Judea were going out to him and all the regions along the Jordan. They were baptised by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit worthy of repentance. Do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our ancestor. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Even now the axe is lying at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptise you with water for repentance, but there is one coming who is more powerful than I. I'm not worthy to carry his sandals. He will baptise you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork will be in his hand and he will clear the threshing floor and will gather his wheat into the granary. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. And this is the word of the Lord. Last week, at the start of the Advent season, the start of the church year, we looked at the end of the world. We do that every first Sunday of Advent. And this week, the second Sunday of Advent, we've got John the Baptist. And we do that every year too, because every one of the four Gospels pays a fair bit of attention to John the Baptist. And that's, we get it now because John the Baptist is all about preparation, and that's what Advent is about. Preparation for what? Well, the kingdom of heaven. John says in Matthew. In the other Gospels he talks about the kingdom of God and people speculate that perhaps Matthew uses the term kingdom of heaven because Matthew was probably writing, there's lots of um, hints of this, that he was writing to a Jewish audience. And Jews were very careful about not using a name for God. They used other words, they used initials, the the word Yahweh is a set of initials. It's an attempt to not be able to name something because if you name something, you somehow know what you're talking about. And the Jews always know that God to be unknowable. So it's possible that Matthew was looking to move away from the word God and to the word heaven, which basically means the same thing. It's the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. Have you ever wondered why we get this particular word? Why kingdom? Isn't Jesus talking about a new morality? 
Or isn't he talking about a new religion or a new faith? So why use the word kingdom? A kingdom is a way of running the world. We run our part of the world via democracy. We're still sort of a kingdom, which we're probably arguing about a bit half-heartedly at the moment, about whether we should be a kingdom or not. The problem is that we use the word kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven over and over again and as if we, as if it's sort of just an ordinary thing to be said. But what if this was happening today and John or Jesus was coming today? They would say something like, repent because the democracy of God is making itself known. The government of God is present. We know from the writings of John, the Gospel, and the letters of John, that the idea of God as loving is completely out the window. John's not interested in a God who is loving. God, John is saying that God is love. That everything that is loving, every person that is loving, comes from God, it says in the first letter of John. Love originates from God. Everything that we know about love comes from God. Everything that we know about God is what we know about love. Cornel West, who's a great African-American philosopher, says that what love looks like in public is what we call justice. Justice is what love looks like in public. What John the Baptist and Jesus are saying is the world is changing. There is a new way of governing and running the world. Kingdom is what they were used to. We're used to democracy or republics. John and Jesus are announcing the just republic. And if that doesn't sort of send a shiver up your spine... You're not paying attention to it. And that's what John is worried about. Because Jesus says in the Gospel of Luke that the kingdom, the just republic in my language, the government of God, is already present among us. It is already here. That's why John says we've got to repent. How do you prepare for the complete change of the way the world is governed, the way the world operates, the nature of the system, you repent. Now, repentance is not you saying sorry for stupid things that you've done and promising never to do them again. That would be a good idea every now and then, wouldn't it? But that's not what John is talking about at all. Repentance... It simply means turning around. It simply means seeing things differently. It's change of mind. It's having a complete rethink. And you reckon if somebody announces that the government is about to completely change, that calls for a real rethink, doesn't it? Now, that's not good news if you happen to like the way the government is. If you're the emperor of Rome or the high priest of the temple in Jerusalem, 
or the Prime Minister of Australia or the Premier of our state. Hearing that the government is about to completely change and they're no longer going to be in power is not good news. But if you're at the bottom of the heap, getting no look in at all, if you're part of the possibly a third or maybe a half of the Roman Empire population who were slaves, a change of government starts to sound pretty darn good. How do you repent? You turn around. The advent calendar that Tom was flogging, that we've got, is a really practical example of that because the way it works, as you know, is every day of December, now we're on the 4th, aren't we? Um, You turn it around and you see something differently. It's a really exciting idea and I've, I've been thinking about this turning around in my own copy of this at my house. Turning it around and, and saying to myself as I do it, I need to change my thinking. I need to rethink my way of being in the world and turning it around and seeing some of the things that are being, I'm being invited to think about and, and challenged with. So it's a good thing if you haven't got one. That's the end of the advert. And I'm not taking a cut. Although, you know, I'd be willing. No, no, I'm not taking a cut. Wake up! Matthew says all the way through. Stay awake. Now, you don't tell somebody to wake up unless they're asleep. And John, uh, Matthew says this all the way through this gospel. Why repent? Because if we don't turn around, we have no idea what's going on. We will be facing the wrong way. And one of the good things about turning around is you've got to keep doing it all the time. And if you're um, into a bit of exercise, you know that turning will give you a little bit more flexibility. And if you're getting old, and I know you are because if you're not, you're dead. You're getting old. A bit more flexibility wouldn't kill any of us, would it? Not just flexibility physically, but emotionally and mentally. Turn around because God is doing something. What is God doing? Well, he's not sending a little baby so that we can feel comforted and kind and sing Christmas carols and just think everything should be nice. It would be great if it was. But there's so much more in that story. The story that we're about to celebrate on Christmas Day and Christmas Eve is the story of the beginning of the revolution, the beginning of a new way of the world being, of the new government. What does it look like? Well, there's a few clues in what John says, and some of it's pretty harsh, chopping down trees and tossing them into the fire. There's a clearing out. The first thing we know about is that you've got to prepare the way of the Lord and make the path straight. Imagine a straight path. That would be good news for anybody who's trying to navigate the crooked, punitive, Kafkaesque approach that we've got to Centrelink payments. What if that was done with dignity and clarity? That would be a straight path, wouldn't it? That would be good news. It would be good news, a straight path to asylum seekers and refugees who have to battle through a bureaucracy that is Escher-like in its labyrinthine um, complexity, leaving them without certainty year after year after year. A straight path 
would make their lives clear and clean. That would be good news. There's more good news. His winnowing fork is in his hand and he will clear this threshing floor and he will gather his wheat into the granary but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. The whole point of winnowing is to get all the grain. All of it. Try not to miss any at all. It's about gathering all the grain together. It's not about separating the good grain from the bad grain. It's about separating the grain from the stuff that's of no use. It's the wind and the fire removing the rubbish. Our anxieties, our self-absorption, our apathy, our greed. All the things that make us smaller and less generous. All the things that make us smaller and less able to live fully in the world. The whole point of winnowing is to see all that gone and all the grain, all of us. All of us who sometimes feel like we're covered in chaff, covered in rubbish. Some mornings you get out of bed and you wonder whether it's any point in it at all. You're feeling a bit crook physically. You think about all the things that you've done that you shouldn't have done, all the things most likely that you should have done, all the responsibilities that you should have undertaken that you haven't. And it purifies us and frees us. That's what winnowing does. That's the good news in this story. What does it look like to repent? It looks like turning around and seeing things differently. And it sometimes is scary because we think we know how the world is supposed to work. We think people are supposed to come here at 10 o'clock on a Sunday morning and do what we do. But of course they're not. Are your kids doing this? Are your grandkids doing it? Mostly not. Because we've done it a certain way. There's nothing wrong with the way we've done it. There's nothing wrong with the way we're doing it now. But this isn't all that God is doing in the world. Now, when these little advent calendars are going out into the world, Nina's TikToks are going out into the world, uh, and there are different ways that people are doing this. And our job is not to be sure, but to be open. John Wesley apparently used to go and see his class meetings, the little meetings he would visit on his horse. And he would ask them two questions. What is the Spirit of God doing? And how shall we meet the needs of this hour? Now, that first question, I haven't got a clue. I never asked that question. I can tell you what the church is doing. I can show you the um, profile of the Corner Uniting Church. I can show you the basis of union of the Uniting Church. I can tell you what my mother thought I should have done with my life. I can tell you what the police want me to do. I can tell you what... What is the Spirit of God doing? My first thought is, I don't know, I've never thought about that. That's repentance, is looking for what God is doing. And then out of that, the question comes, how do you meet the needs of this hour? Well, what is the hour we're living in? How do we stay open and wise to knowing the moment we're in? How do we open ourselves to that so that we will be gathered up clean, pure grains? 
we get more of John the Baptist next week. Not slight, quite a different take on where we go. So stay tuned. Amen.